This is Lainey Cameron, and you're listening to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast, which I co-host with book blogger extraordinaire and fellow writer Ashley Hasty, founder of the Hasty Booklist. I'm an author of women's fiction, a digital nomad, and a marketing expert. This year, I launched a program where I help authors develop a successful launch plan for their books. It's called 12 Weeks to Book Launch Success, and you can learn more or join the waitlist at laneycameron.com. I created this podcast to showcase authors and books I admire in the women's fiction genre. If you enjoy it, I'd love if you subscribed, and even better, give it some stars or a quick review. In this episode, I chat with author of historical fiction, Christina Luzik Berga. Her new three-book series, The Diplomat's Wife, started releasing earlier this year with The American Wife, and the third in the series just released. I am so excited because I got to read the first two books in the series that we're going to be talking about, and the third one just came out, and because we're recording this a little in advance, I haven't had the chance to read the third one yet, so we won't give any spoilers here. But it's actually kind of fun to talk about a series and a historical fiction series. So, Christina, yeah. thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here. You guys do and, fantastic stuff. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And where are you joining me from? Where are you in the world? I moved to Western Austria. That's cows, not kangaroos. <laughs> about 21 years ago. And about 15 years ago, I met my husband. And so now we live in a, our dream mountain hut, not far away from the city. So it's actually 12 minutes from the city, but it feels like we are out in isolation out here. We have mountains and fields and our first neighbor is about, I don't know, a mile behind us and the next one a mile ahead of us. So it's really idyllic, especially if oh, you're I a writer. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I'm sure it's related. Your life experience of where you've been and your history is very related to some of these topics and the places that you chose to write about. This series that we're going to talk about is just your latest series. You've had many, many historical fiction books, which are loved by readers. This one is the Diplomat's Wife series that starts with mm -hmm. The American Wife. I'm going to ask you an unusual question here. Tell them about this book series and then also tell them a bit, a bit about what you write in general, because people might not be familiar with your work and you've written such a great body of work mostly, I believe, historical fiction at this point. Mm. But let's start with the, this series, The Diplomat's Wife. Tell people a little bit more about it. Actually, I am going to reverse the answer because I think the two are very closely linked. And I usually write about things that are have to do with cultural or political conflict. And all of my MCs have their moral compass in hand and have to decide the adversity that I'm facing right now. Is it going to bring out the best in me or the worst in me? And I think those are the things that I explore the most is what is it that my MC has to do in order to come out to come out on the better side of herself. And I also throw in an awful lot of cultural miscommunication, misinformation, because this is also something that I do professionally. I teach business people in communication. And so I bring in those psychological aspects into my stories a lot. And this series was born out of a brainstorming session with my editor. And she says, so what do you want to write next? And I said, well, I've got a couple of ideas. And they turned them all down. And they said, well, what is it about? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, the hottest things I wanted to write. They said, no, no, no. And I thought, great. So now I have to go back to the drawing board. And one of the things that she asked me was, what is it that you love about these three books? What is it that you want to write about? And I said, well, there's so much 
social divisiveness going on right now. I mean, we are going through a period in our history where we are being really torn apart between deciding that there is black and there's white. And this is one of the things that my books do not do. It does not make heroes out of humans, and it does not do a black and white picture of history. I know that there's a lot of gray matter from the personal histories that I have heard from my family and which I wrote about. I said, I would like to write about a couple who are madly in love with each other and that politics like starts to tear them apart. And how do they manage and navigate their marriage? And then I said, and I, I kind of want to write a spy thriller too. And she goes, <laughs> okay, can you combine the two? And I said, I have no idea. But if you don't like any of my ideas, I need to go back to the drawing board. I happened to be on vacation at that time and I threw myself into the sea and I went for a swim and then right, it was like lightning, obviously, figuratively, not literally. I heard the name Kitty Larson in my head and I had no idea. Is this something that I had heard about, seen, you know? So I Googled the name and it was very specific. It was L-A-R-S-S-O-N. So I Googled the name to find out if somebody already existed and there wasn't. And I thought, okay, Kitty Larson, who are you? Tell me about it. And my husband and I drank a bottle of Spanish wine. And by the time we were finished, we realized that we had a pitch. It was about a woman who marries an Austrian diplomat and then the Anschluss happens. And she discovers that he is not what he says he is. And how do they navigate their marriage through this? So that was supposed to be one book. And then when I told my girlfriend the story, she said, well, I want to know what happens next. Because I knew the story would only go to about 1940, 1941. And I said, well, what do you mean what happens next? She goes, yeah, what happens to her next? I have no idea. By the time I started doing some research about the Viennese resistance efforts against the Nazis, I knew it would take place in Vienna. That's what I knew. Because it was COVID and it was like the only place I knew I could get to. So (laughs) I have to choose a setting that I can actually travel to. So I knew it would happen in Vienna. And then my editor had asked me, could you not write something in Paris? And I'm like, why? (laughs) She says, I said, everybody's writing about Paris. She goes, exactly. (laughs) I thought, can we not do something differently? And she said, no, if you could write about Paris, that would be fantastic. When my girlfriend asked me what happens to Kitty next, I thought, Kitty goes to Paris? Shopping trip? I don't know, you know? But as I was doing research, one of the main characters that really inspired Kitty's personality and her trajectory, actually, was Virginia Hall. And Virginia Hall actually did work for the SOE in Paris and then switched to the OSS. So I was using a lot of her story to kind of help me along with Kitty's fictionalized version of the thing. But Kitty is a lot of different people. And then I knew by then that I would have a third book because the resistance story in Vienna was just so fascinating that I had to get Kitty back to Vienna somehow. And then again, ask myself again, how is that going to happen? But I found the answers and it was a ton of fun. I have to say, I'm really, really glad that my editor challenged me because I had so much fun writing this series. It was a ball. I had so much fun reading it. Kitty is a great character. She comes from a little bit of a privileged background and that she's an ambassador's daughter or a senator's daughter, right? Mm -hmm. But then she's Mm -hmm. so courageous and she's faced with all these moral dilemmas, like you say, like, what if you love the person who's not supposed to be the person you love? 
but you also want to honor your own moral beliefs and your country. And and she ends up getting into, like you say, the spy world, the espionage world, and so the resistance. And so I thought that was just fascinating how you mixed all of those elements together. And it's a great fun read. I mean, I set out to read the first book thinking, okay, we're going to talk about the series. I should at least read the first one. And I was like downloading the second one before I'd even finished yeah. the first one because I was like, no, I must read the whole series though. I can't let this story go. And now you're going to make me wait for number three, which is a little unfair. But for those who are listening, they can actually read through all three, which is what I can't do because it's yeah. out Yes. By the time this appears live, yep, the third one is ready. And I just read the first Nick Galley review and I clapped because she said it was like being hit by a freight train. And I thought, Ooh. super. 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 Yeah, you get that edge of your seat. Like, I'm. oh, yes, I love that when I read a book where it keeps me engaged and I can't put it down. Talk to me a little bit about the research, because I know you mix real life and fictitious characters. And what does that Mm -hmm. look like in terms of how you do your research for this kind of historical fiction based in World War II? Because now I'm a faster writer than I used to be. My first book took me 20 years. And this one, I mean, to do a first draft for me, it's about four and a half months. And I have learned to research as I write. So my first question is to identify what is my character going through? What are her needs? What are her wants? What does she have to change about herself to achieve what it is that she sets out to achieve? I have a rough idea of what's going on in history when I set out to write a book or when I outline it. And what I choose to include are the things that would directly affect my MC. So for example, during the Anschluss, Kitty is working at the American consulate. And so obviously these Jewish immigrants coming in and lining up and trying to get a visa is going to affect her. And I stumbled on an article for the first book about two men who ran the consulate at the Anschluss. And during the Anschluss, there was a management change. And for those who are not familiar with the Anschluss, just if they're not history buffs and they haven't mm. read it, tell us a little bit about what that what you mean when you say that moment in history. It's when Austria was forced to join the Third Reich. So Hitler threatened war and was going to march in. And Austria just said, yeah, okay, whatever, take us. They claimed to be the first victims of Hitler. And that was in 1938. While Kitty's working at this consulate, she realizes that the guy who is taken over is not very concerned about the humanity aspect of the thing, of the situation of the Jewish immigrants. These are the things that kind of drive her. I knew that anger would drive her. And I knew that finding out that her husband's interest seems to lie in just climbing the regime's ladder in his career also angers her. And this happens to also be one of her weaknesses because she becomes, as you know, from reading the book, she's sometimes very, spontaneous is not the right word, like very... Right. She's a firecracker. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Like, like, yeah. 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 So she has a temper. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you choose real life characters to mix Mm -hmm. in, real life people to mix in historical figures, do you have to give that a lot of thought? Like, I'm fascinated because I don't write historical fiction myself. Like, how does that come about? Do you just say, okay, yeah, this person fits in the book? Or do you have to say, like, Mm -hmm. is it exactly historically accurate that they could have been in this city in this moment in time in this day of the week? Or like, how do you think about how to deal with real people as they're part of that? It's interesting because I think in this case, these two managers in the consulate were so fascinating. I wanted to keep their real names. And what I did was I read their memos. So I even like a lot of the dialogues that they are having in the book are coming from the memos themselves that they had written. And so if I can capture that, if I can capture their voice and their character easily because there's research available for it, I have no qualms about using them and fictionalizing them. Otherwise, 
I get a lot of anecdotes from different aspects of the resistance that was happening in Austria at that time or in Germany. And because I can't build every single character in, what I end up doing is using those anecdotes and maybe sub characters that will be that drive that story at times, you know, who might act those anecdotes out or assign those anecdotes either to Edgar, Kitty's husband, mm-hmm. or to Kitty, or maybe one of her allies. So that's how I kind of do it is I decide who really needs to be there as a real person. And then the other stuff that I pull in are driven by the other fictional characters. That's very clever. And I know you've said that you like to kind of write books that tackle when you talked about this at the beginning, preconceived notions, right? We all have Mm -hmm. these preconceived notions of other people, of history, of politics. Like, how does that play out for you? And are, are there any examples even in this book of how it plays out? And the whole series, actually, because each one, it was something where I thought, whoa, I did not know that. And I don't think the majority of people know that. So for the first book in The American Wife, which is when the Nazis take over Austria, my discovery of how resistant allied nations were in helping the Jews to emigrate um, was surprising and how very anti-Semitic FDR's administration was, so Roosevelt's administration. That blew my mind because we learned about heroic achievements Americans made in World War II but we never think about the black marks that we've left along the way. And you portrayed um, that really well, right? The idea that people are lining up at the embassy trying to get out of the country because their lives are in danger and, you know, they're getting heck no, right? Like all the stuff that we see happening to immigrants today, right? And it, it really felt very close to home as I was reading that and, her- you know, reading that those scenes where she's trying to help those Jewish immigrants get out of Austria at a point that their lives are in danger and they're getting told, no, we have a quota and we don't have space. We have a quota. Yeah. Right. We have a quota. Like that sounds a little too close to home today. Yeah. And again, it was that divisiveness. It is what starts dividing up people from to stand either all black or it's all white. And this is where I stand and there is no middle. That's exactly where Kitty starts getting really frustrated. In the second book, I tackle the fact that the Allies knew what was going on in the Nazi concentration camps long before the first liberated one. And people were giving up their lives to tell them about it and trusted the allies to stop it. So they were escaping out of these camps. They had organizations, resistance organizations within the camps that were trying to get people out with the information that there was a plea from the Polish resistance within Auschwitz that was begging the British and the Poles to bomb the camp. And they were prepared to lay their lives for that because of the things that were happening in the camp. And we don't hear about that very often. And, the no. third and I book, mean, we all know the, the story after the fact of the atrocities yeah. of Auschwitz, Auschwitz, I'm probably saying it wrong, but, but like knowing that I didn't know that, that for a long time, the allies had the information about what was happening, but did not act on it. Like I did not know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the last book, it was about the Austrian resistance. I highlight the Austrian resistance in that third book and how they worked together with the Americans. They were very worried about the Soviets taking control of Europe after the war. And so they were sending special ops into Fortress Germany, as they called it. And in the third book, I really highlight the people who gave up their lives to fight the regime. So the Austrians who were fighting against the Nazis. And for decades, these People were seen as traitors until Austria was forced to confront its role in Nazism. But they were considered traitors at that time. Wow. Well, let's talk about what you've learned as a writer and author. I love the fact that you said your first one took 20 years and this now you can draft a book in four and a half months. Tell those of us who are back closer to the 20 year period, which would be me and lots of authors with one or two books under their belt. What did that journey look like? And what was the biggest difference maker? I'm fascinated for you of being able to write 
faster now than you did at the beginning, right? I think it's a very normal journey. What advice do you have for writers along the way? There is no such thing as writer's block. There might be tough days. I don't, I don't grant you that. But I think it's like any craft or skill that you're trying to learn. You have to show up every day and you have to practice. And that is the journey. It becomes easier and easier with every book. You begin to trust your process. That's it. It's managing to learn what your process is and what works best for you. And I used to be a pantser, which is somebody who just writes off the top of their head. And I have had to cut out up to, in my very first book, I think it was like 40,000 words because it went into a completely different genre. I started to outline the rest of that book and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm writing a series, but I haven't outlined all of the books. Maybe that would be important to do. So outlining was the first thing that I learned to do, which I hated to do ever since college, because again, I like to write freely. I like to be creative. And I thought that an outline would not allow me to be creative, but I can tell you right now, an outline not only lets you be creative, it's like having a map. It takes you on a journey of self-discovery. You know that you need to go from point A to point B if you have an outline. How you get there is completely up to your character sometimes and up to you. You'll still be able to stop off and see the greatest ball of yarn on the way to point B and then decide if you're going to keep that in your photograph album along your journey. But you get to take all of these aspects and winding roads that you want to. And then if you are really confident in your storytelling skills, you will learn to be hard with yourself and trust your critics and they will let you know what's working, what's not working. And the second thing is if you want to be an author, so that's a writer. I draw a distinction between being a writer and an author, a published author, because the next step is really once you have your craft down and once you feel comfortable as a storyteller, you then need to start treating your product, which is your manuscript, your book, as a product that you will put out on the market. And I run a business. So something that came very early on to me was the idea that I can't do everything. I'm not good at everything. I'm not good at marketing and analytics and data and not good at making book covers. So when I was looking for a publisher, I was looking for somebody who was going to be my business partner. And I feel that most authors are waiting for a publisher to come and take to discover them and then launch their careers. But that's not how it works. It's a business like any other business. And that means you have to work hard Put in the hours, put in the sweat, put in the doubt, put in the tears and the laughter, but you find the partner who can do the things that you want done for your product and for your career. And that is what a publisher is there for. Not to save you, not to send you to the stars, but to help you run your business. I love that. I think the same goes for an agent and a publisher and anyone you pick to work with, that it's a partnership. And I think part of it is authors have to go writers have to go through so many gatekeepers to get that publishing deal if they're going down the traditional path. And so mm -hmm. by the time they get that publishing deal, you know, they've kind of begged at the door of the agent and then they begged at the door of the publisher. It kind of feels like you're on your heels, right? As a writer is just what I observe. And so by the time they get there, they are often surprised that the publisher isn't going to just grab their book and do everything for them and own their career for them. And I completely agree with what mm -hmm. you're saying, which is you own your career and you're no. making a series of decisions as an author at each moment in your career on who your best partner is. And I think it really is seen differently now in that people go back and forth between, okay, so I had a reason that that particular publisher was great for me. And now maybe I'm going to go indie with this next series because it belongs as an indie series. And then I'm going to kind of come back to a different traditional publisher. Like people go in and out of publishing models now. And I think 
when you're starting your career as a writer, it can feel the opposite. It can feel like a mountain that you're trying to climb. And each step you get there, you're a little higher up the mountain. And you think that when you get to the top, you'll just stand on the top and wave your flag and someone will be doing it for you. And it doesn't work that way, right? And so I love that you said that. I think that's a really insightful way to say it. Mm. Last question before we wrap up, and I'm going to encourage people to go check out, starting with The American Wife, this series, which is just fabulous. Last question for you is any books you would recommend if you were to pick one right now that you would say, I read this and other Mm. people might enjoy? So I read both fiction and historical fiction, all fiction and nonfiction and finished Sarah Winman's Still Life, which I absolutely loved. I heard that Alicia Fock has a new book out. I might have to shuffle through my TBR pile and move that up. I read The Ukrainian Night by Marcy Shore, which I highly recommend. If you don't know anything about Ukraine or are confused about what's going on in Ukraine, it is a very good book to start with. It talks about the revolution in 2014, and it is excellent. That's Marcy Shore's The Ukrainian Night. And right now I'm listening to Goodnight Paris. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll put all of those on the website. We always put the links to all of the books at bestofwomensfiction.com because When you're listening, it's very hard to catch them all that fast, but you can find them all on the website. And talking of where we can find people online, if folks want to follow you, know about your future work, know what you're up to, where is the best place for them to connect and keep up to date with you? My newsletter has, you can choose your own segments so you can decide what kind of information you're going to get from me, is on my website at inktrex.com. I also do a historical blog there for all of my books. So I usually do background articles about So if you're interested in how my research accumulated into my novels, that's where you go. And otherwise, my Facebook is probably my favorite platform. That's where I hang out in my Facebook author page. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And I'll just wrap up by saying that I always look at the reviews for a book before I'm talking with the author on the podcast. And I found it interesting that the two words gripping and captivating, which show up, I think, in the subtitle, possibly, with also the most two common words in reviews. Like they came up Mm. again and again and again. People describe this book as gripping and captivating. And I completely agree. So congratulations on writing such a phenomenal series. And thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. On our website, you can find links to the books mentioned in this episode, the author's social media, and the video version. We also have a newsletter. We'd love if you subscribed, and we'll keep you updated on our latest episodes. For all of that, visit us at bestofwomensfiction.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate a quick review or tell your friends.